Hey, what's up, guys? It's Rico here, CEO of Social and Asia, host of Channel Podcast, and also Source Fine Asia YouTube channel. Back another another video now hanging out with China Mike, my business partner, and in this video slash podcast, we're talking about what's happened in the last six days with COVID nineteen medical supplies. There's a huge demand for supplies around the world. Obviously, the the US got hit pretty hard with infection rates. Europe has been suffering for the last two and a half weeks. So. Or so South America is beginning to get hit. Africa is beginning to get hit. We're talking about the manufacturing climate, how the factories are stretched thin, the buyers are skeptical. We're in between communicate both sides of the equation, and trying also hard to to push through. You know, product that is certified and legitimate, but at the same time trying to prove to, to the buyers that we're we're real. So it's it's been a hectic hectic week. So that's what this video is about. I don't want to be a product of my environment. I want my environment to be a product of me. What's up, man? First how, of, how many, on average, how many hours per day have you gotten in terms of sleep for the last six days? So last night, do you know what time we got off that call? I feel like it was two thirty, two thirty my time. Yeah, something. Yeah, because it would have been for me. It was around three thirty ish. So I think I'm thirteen hours ahead of you. Yeah. So I went to bed at about three a.m. and I woke up at. Like 8.15. I'm just checking the time of the last message you sent me before you went to bed. Yeah, the last message was around 2, 2 p.m. for me. Yeah, so, so yeah, I, I went to bed at um, yeah, probably like 3 a.m. I woke up at 8.15, and I would say that was like, that was nice. <laughs> so, so that was the most sleep I've gotten in the last... Oh, yeah, but by the way, the last message was, hey, I'm on Zoom, and then you didn't reply, yeah, no, an and then hour you came on to Zoom, and I was like, why are you still awake? And I was like, go yeah. to sleep, go to sleep. Yeah. But yeah, to answer your question, not much. You know, we've been, we've been getting a couple cat naps in here and there three or four hours. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it's, it's been a whirlwind, man. It's been constant, constant action from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to sleep. I'd say right now it's pretty chill. Sunday here in Chicago, and... Um, you know, my phone hasn't been ringing too much today, so I think you know today's the day of rest, perhaps. And yesterday mm-hmm. evening, you know, we had our internal stuff talking to the people in our network, but it wasn't crazy from from like an incoming call inquiry uh, perspective. For me, in general, it, it's been on average about three to four hours of sleep a day for the past six days. Saturday, I stayed up twenty four more than twenty four hours. I went I I went to sleep at like. I went to sleep at like five, four or five p.m. Uh, woke up at nine or eight thirty. Then again, went to sleep at like uh, slept at three a.m. But I slept from three to twelve, so I was like, no, no, no. I slept seven hours, so from three to eleven. So, but I, I woke. I feel much better today. Like I feel significantly more refreshed and clear. And yeah, like you said, it hasn't been as crazy today. It's been more. I've been more sitting down, like doing more research, thinking about how we can organize the research a little bit more. I had 
well, we still had like fucking six calls today <laughs> from internal calls to potential client calls and things like this. It's one of those things because of the sense of urgency. It's like, you know, I can't just, oh, I'm going to work, you know, nine hours today and then go to bed. It's like people need, and especially because we're dealing with China, then U.S., and we're in between, you know, we have to make sure that the information is reported in a timely manner and then be av- I have to be available. You have to be available to sort of consult and decisions yeah. and decisions that we would take, you know, a, a couple of days to make, we have to make in a few hours, you know, so. Yeah, or less. It's the first time I've ever been in a situation from the sourcing business perspective where other than people in our internal where we're talking through strategies and how to best manage situations, when we're talking to you know potential inquiries, buyers, it's the first time ever where I've been like this, where people are calling me and it's, what can you do right now? Right now, yeah, exactly. Uh, not a brainstorming call. It's an I'm in a in this position where I need these things immediately. Like, what are you able to provide? Yeah, yeah. And you know, the more you get on the phone and the more you're talking to these people, the more sense of urgency that that we're starting to feel, and you know, we're starting to feel the pressure from from both sides, from the people all across the world who need this stuff, and from the people in in China who are trying to make it telling us that materials are going down. They're getting completely booked. We're not going to be able to make an order until some people are saying until till next year, till after summer, like there's no way you're getting in anymore. So it's really stressful. And I think, you know, both of us just want to be able to make sure that we can get as much of this stuff out to these heavily impacted areas as soon as possible. What were you talking about just now? You're, you're saying, Rico. go ahead. Rico. Yeah. yeah. I just want to pick it up. I just want to see what happens here. All right. One second. I was trying to get into it. Like when we're saying we've been working, like uh, we've been sleeping three, four hours a day. You know, we're working 20 hours a day. I'm in the Philippines. Our team, our office is in China. Uh, Mike is in Chicago. We have brokers in New York and Toronto and, and other parts of the States. And obviously the buyers are from all over the U.S., and also Europe. So Europe is fine because typically morning in Europe is, you know, 9 a.m., 8 a.m. And that's like, you know, 2 p.m. in the afternoon here. I'm in the same time zone as China, which is why I'm in the Philippines right now. So Europe is fine. Communicating with Europe is fine. But then with the U.S., it's like we will get certain requirements or requests during the nighttime in China. So I have to communicate that to the team in China. But at the same time, I want to be awake with Mike because obviously we're business partners. So we have to make decisions together and we have to make decisions quickly. So I'll stay up late to hear what's going on with potential buyers and and questions that the brokers have for us in, in the US. And then me and Mike will then have conversations discussing the possibilities and the issues and how to approach next steps, which I'll bet in the morning try to communicate with the China team. But at the same time, Mike also wants to be involved in the communication with the China team, right? Because we're going to make sure that even if I'm talking to our China team and our project manager or operations manager says, hey, but have you thought about this issue from a manufacturing standpoint? Then Mike and I and the you know, operations team have to then discuss what possible solutions we can come up with, especially in a, in a climate like this. So I'll give an example. Like, and I want to talk a little bit more about this when Mike gets off this call, but we had inquiries last week about medical kits. 
And, you know, on one hand, I understood the, the necessity for them. And when I say medical kits, the medical testing kits, because we were thrown into this, like it wasn't something that we'd been doing. It wasn't something that we were researching. You then go, okay, there's a need for medical kits and let's see if we can get these medical kits from, from China. And, you know, our team is coming back to us and saying, by the way, it's illegal to produce and, and sell these medical kits out of China unless it's a government-owned entity. Not like the N95s, the factories got taken over. So there were privately owned factories that then got you know, managed by the Chinese government. But it wasn't necessarily illegal to, to export the N95s if they were legitimate and coming from factories that are uh, NIOSH, which is a CDC standard approved. But for the medical kits, that's one of those where they're like, no one is allowed to export medical kits unless it's coming from us and a lot of people still tried to do that and a lot of fake medical kits got out. I think there was, a, there was an article from what happened in Europe where uh, I think it was France or Italy that had, re- had to reject. They, were, they had something like a, the medical kits that were getting had like an 80% failure rate or something, something along those lines where you know, the testing is just not working. And my guess would be that they probably purchased those kits from a privately owned factory or a trading company that took advantage of the need and jumped into the market early and, and sold those kits. I think there was another article today about uh, 600,000 KN95s being rejected in Europe as well. And they were saying that they were C certified KN95s, but they just didn't match the standard of what they're used to in the hospitals. The masks weren't fitting correctly. They could tell very early that that wasn't the quality that they were used to. Now, the thing about that is like, I don't know enough about that situation specifically to say whether, you know, this was a factory that was actually CE certified that just produced poor quality. Because one thing I was thinking about earlier today is like this demand that is being put on the Chinese factories, they might want to do the production to the best of their ability. But the reality is when you stretch people thin and you don't have, they don't have the resources, they have to expand quickly. When you expand or scale a business faster than they're used to and this, and it's urgent and, you know, people are dying and people are sick and doctors are operating on patients without any sort of protection, mistakes are bound to happen. Forget about the, the, the current situation, but even just in business, for example, if we as a company had to expand to a thousand employees or 500 employees in the space of a week, two weeks, there's going to be some mistakes in, in communication in management and, you know, oversight in, in HR, there's going to be some issues. So that obviously is going to happen in the manufacturing space. So I don't know if those KN95s, the 600,000 that uh, were poor quality, whether it was a situation where uh, there was a fake certificate and whoever bought them kind of either used somebody else's certificate or didn't do quality control or the factory was legitimate and do their own internal QC structures and, and had to expand very quickly. I don't know if that's the case. Sorry about that. Expect. Uh, yeah, I was just talking about, um, you know, s- some of the issues involved with expanding really quickly when it comes to manufacturing and such. But yeah, uh, I, I, I was just on a call there and I think I could yeah. add to that in terms of this call. So that was somebody you know, we had posted a photo of the isolation gowns as yeah. a product that we could source. And I don't know how to say the word, do you? It's poly, polythylene? Po- poly, polythylene, yeah, P. 
filing. So they're asking so it's me a type for, of plastic, basically. A type of plastic, yeah. So they're asking me for detailed specs. You know, what mm -hmm. kind of specs do you guys have on the gowns? And I really don't have, from all of the research and all the factories, I don't have, like, detailed specs on these gowns. They're really well, also 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 because we just got those quotations, like, less than 48 hours ago. Like, you know, right. this is a Saturday, Sunday when, you know, they're, they're still doing mass production, but the sales team has to take a day off, right? Like the, the, the sales reps and the people at the factory that would be able to provide that information, they have to go home to their families. <laughs> Coming back to the bigger, bigger issue that we've talked about that's kind of holding up this whole process is, um, you know, when people come to SourceFind Asia under normal circumstances, they know what they want, or at least they know what they want to some extent. And, you know, through our online systems and all the content we've created, we kind of encourage people to do a little bit more due diligence, you know, fill out the onboarding sheets, tell us as much as possible about their business, about the product. Do they have examples? And yeah, that's why this has been extremely stressful because, you know, they, I always used to say, I'm, I'm sure I've said it before to you, Rico, or on the podcast, you know, in my early days of sourcing, especially before we built out a lot of the systems, people would often think that we're just a giant Walmart. Yeah. You know, and like, oh, well, what do you guys have? Well, I mean, from what I've seen, we can make 30 different gowns, you know, yep. or, or at least 10 different gowns. And there's four to five styles of each of those gowns and they all have different specifications. So different, it's like different, uh, AAMI levels, there's yeah. like level one, exactly. two, three, you know, it's like, or level one, so two, four. Required to have, you know, more significant testing and, yep. and, and, uh, you know, standards being met. Some of them are literally just a plastic sheet. So it's a little bit for us, not frustrating, but just like tiring, to have to try to, you're dealing with these people who need something immediately, but they have zero idea of the process. They are like doubting what we're saying. They're doubting our credibility, whether they're consciously doing it or not. And you're trying to, you know, instruct them how this process works along yeah. the way. You know, it's really, it's really difficult to, to, to manage, you know, especially when you're talking about these buyers from hospital groups or, you know, people who are overseeing the purchase of this stuff. It's like almost no due diligence into, into the products, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of units that they're requesting and, and, and they don't know anything about it. Yeah. And they're looking to us to teach them about what they need. Yeah, sometimes sometimes it's it's overwhelming. Yeah, and the, the thing is, like, it's like we. Uh, I was saying this when you're on the call. Besides commenting on how this has been a typical thing, where I'll be on the phone, I'll be on Zoom with go. you. I gotta go. Yeah, I gotta and, go. Yeah. <laughs> just, you know, I didn't even say this, but my Zoom is just on the entire day. Yeah. Like, I, just, I just leave it on the whole day, and people just There's jump in and out. Four-hour Zoom channel. <laughs> I'm sure at least uh, at least 50 to 100 people have my personal Zoom link. So right. yeah, if you, you know, if you're one of those people, you can join in right now. But yeah, that's been like the typical thing with with me and Mike is because Mike is dealing with the talking to the buyers and, and the brokers in the US, where you know we were talking like this, and you jump off like probably 20 times in the space of a couple of hours. It's a very unique situation, like you said, because 
these potential buyers are leaning on us to tell them what they need. But in a typical situation, we have a process where people consume our content usually. And in our content, we always tell people, do your own research. You should be the expert of your product. Then when they contact us, we have questions. I'm sure this has happened a bunch of times where somebody came to the website after you know maybe listening to a podcast or getting a referral or whatever, and then went to the contact us form and was like, I don't know how to answer like 60% of these questions and then had to go back to the drawing board and do their own research and then come back and then answer the questions. Then we usually book a call where in the call, we discuss what you filled out. We discuss what we think would be the manufacturing approach, whether this is the right time for you to get started with manufacturing. Maybe there's other things you need to do first before you start manufacturing. After the call, we send you another sheet, which is more detailed for you to fill out uh, with your with your details on your on your product. And you know, all those steps weed out a lot of people and also it, it allows us to understand exactly what you need. So we're not wasting time when we're researching and, you know, we can get the product that you want to the exact spec because at the end of the day, everything can be made in China. It's just like, how much do you want to pay for it? And how detailed are you at explaining what you want? Um, yeah. We're, we're trying to offer a wide variety of products that have a wide variety of variation between each one of them. Yeah. And, you know, as we've tried to instruct the people that we're working with and the clients, you know, the, the potential buyers that we're talking to, you know, our normal process for something like this would be one to two weeks per product. It, it wouldn't even just be that. It would be one to two weeks for the vetting process of, of the client, of the client, not even the product. Like of the client, the back and forth of communication. Yeah. And, so, yeah. and then there, there's the, the sourcing report. You know, we offer sourcing report services. There's that aspect. And, our, yeah. you know, our usual quotations is, is you know, minimum one week, right? Maybe. Yeah. maybe yeah, know. minimum one week if it's a product that we already sourced before or we have similar experience with different products that are similar to what that person wants, right? Now but we're if, trying to vet a dozen factories for each product in 24 hours it's it's just like um it's a lot man it's a lot yeah and it's, uh, it's, it's been a really roller coaster process sometimes it's really exciting sometimes I, we feel like we're making so much progress and really doing a great thing sometimes you know you just want to start banging your head on the wall yeah and the other aspect of this is we're talking about products that would usually be purchased from pre-approved suppliers right like mm -hmm. We don't deal in, for the most part, we don't deal in products like that. We don't have like government contracts where we're constantly making, you know, medical supplies or something along those lines. We deal with usually privately owned companies or startups and, you know, medium, small to medium sized uh, businesses that are producing their original design of something that fill, fulfills a personal need. It's not necessarily a public need in that sense. Like the supply for these products, I mean, you, you talk about a mask, like an N95 NIOSH certified FDA approved mask, CE approved mask. No one uses that on a regular basis. Like this, the average person doesn't use that mask on a regular basis. This is all medical professionals. So I would assume that, you know, in the US, this, in any given moment, what is there, like a couple hundred thousand of those in stock? 
Like, yeah, why would I, why would they even need to be more than like they don't usually need those that much? Duty calls, my friend. Another one. So it's like eleven fifty-one. I'll probably after this podcast slash YouTube video, I'll probably have to talk to Mike about the calls he's been having. Um, I, I want to try to sleep earlier today just because I want to hit Monday hard. Like, uh, yeah, I just it's been it's been madness. So. <laughs> You know, in order to be, I'm afraid of like burning out. So in order to hit a, not to not hit a wall, you got to sleep a little bit earlier today. But yeah, let's see how, let's see how these calls go. And let's see if we can uh, finish up this, this podcast. Sorry, man. Thanks for up Uh That was brokers. Um, just more of the same. People are just terrified that people are out there to scam them and going to take their money and, and run away. And why would I need to pay a hundred percent up front? That's, that's insanity. All you can do is just offer, you know, the same outline of how we conduct business to everybody. You know, I think one thing I've been trying to highlight to people is, I mean, we're not going to be able to do it to the full extent that we do with our, I guess our normal clients, because of the situation, the inability to travel, the restrictions of entering the factories, how busy they are. But I do think that throughout this production process, we're going to be transparent with the people who are buying through us. Yep. So, and I've just been trying to reassure people of that, that, you know, how do we know this is going to arrive here in 14 days? You're not going to put the order in and then not hear from us and just hope on four, day 14 that this is all going to go through. You know, you're getting day-to-day updates. Obviously, we need a couple of days to get all the money through and get everything off the ground. But, you know, how do we ensure that that happens as a yeah. company? We're in constant day-to-day communication with the factory. They're sending us questions. They're giving us video updates. They're giving us photos. They're sending relevant documents. We're beginning to talk to our QC company. We're beginning to talk to our logistics companies. We're beginning to talk to the people who are going to help us on the import side. Like Those conversations need to happen in order for us to process this order. And we personally can't do that unless we have money in hand ready to to send like we've already exhausted especially with the current climate where everybody's hitting up these factories and saying yeah. we're going to do 5 million units or 10 million units or whatever and then nothing happens we've already exhausted that thing of talking to the factories and saying that right now it's one of those things where if we go back to these factories that we've had conversations with and we're saying hey we have another potential order can you do? they're just going to stop responding we have to be yeah. money in hand paying down a deposit then going to the QC companies and, and you know, the, the other partners that we have in order to make sure that this stuff is done correctly. Yeah. So I got a supplier on the phone last night um, with one of our brokers. We, we did a, a video call and I just said, you know what, I, I really think that you need to ask some of these questions to the people that we're talking to. You know, just just to get some perspective, because I have a really good relationship to uh, somebody who's works as a distributor for one of the major three ply factories in all of China. And he also has access to a network of other factories through that relationship. So we got on a video call with him and another buddy of mine who, who helped to uh, translate. And, you know, we asked him because there's some people out here in America who are saying they can get mass quantities on letter of credit. And they're just like, no, well, we're going to do it in escrow. We would never do it without terms. 
And I'm asking him point blank, you know, as, as someone who's on the ground with the largest three ply manufacturer, I might have to fact check that, but they're definitely one of the biggest three ply factories in the world, hands down. And he's saying, well, yeah, well, we don't do that. There's no chance. He goes, maybe, you know, let me ask around. Maybe I could find a factory that would be willing to take that on. But it's just like, you know, he's like, why would we send these all across the world and put ourselves at great financial risk and a financial burden when we have hundreds of other orders coming in every day and everybody wants to pay up front? It makes no sense in this current climate. Like, I mean, of course... If you are, you know, the, the, the U.S. government and you're approaching a factory last year, you know, after Chinese New Year or whatever during the summer and being like, hey, we want to place a hundred million dollar order with you. That is very attractive. And hey, but we need to do a, you know, letter of credit. We need X payment terms. I mean, Walmart does this all the time, right? Like they, they do it all the time. And the factories accept that. But in this situation, when there is no shortage, it's not just... Walmart, it's Walmart, it's any target. random target, it's any random private seller, it's you know the, the the shops in the in the EU, it's it's the African government, it's the Australian government, it's every corner of the planet is asking for the same thing, and they're getting hundreds of them coming through, and some people maybe some private companies maybe are a little bit quicker to move, maybe some of the government entities have less. A red tape and, and decisions to make before they place an order. So if you're coming in and feeling like, well, we usually do it like this, it's not, it's not, it's, these are not the normal times. The best thing that you can do is find somebody else that, you know, is on the ground and is credible. And you know what I'm curious about is like, what, what's funny about this whole situation is, okay, so we've provided all this information and, and certifications. The certifications we've given, no one has come back to us and said, this is fake. Yeah, nobody's challenged any of the documentation we provided. So that, that's one. The second thing I would also ask is, like, how come nobody's asked us to provide client references? Like, why hasn't anybody been like, okay, you guys are, you know, sourced by Asia, you, you operate in Hong Kong and China. Can I talk to, you know, some other people in the States and Canada and Europe who, who've processed orders with you over the last couple of years? We have so many credible businesses that we've worked with I'm actually drinking that in a couple of group chat chats right now. Yeah, I mean, good. they could they could talk to Cirque du Soleil tomorrow if you know if the U.S. government yeah. wants to contact uh, Cirque du Soleil or Smart Teacher, which is. But I mean, you know, they can talk to uh, quite a few companies that we worked with in the past that would vouch for us. So it's it's one of those things where I'm, I'm just like, okay, what kind of due diligence are they actually doing? That that would be my question. They haven't realized really like the reality hasn't set in to what is going on? You know, this is a desperate situation. hundred percent. You know, my, uh, one of my friends here in the Philippines, you know, I met him like last year. He's originally from, again, I don't remember, I'm not going to reference, but he's from, he's from a French speaking African country, but he was born there. And then, you know, he, he moved to Paris and grew up in Paris and then moved to the States when he was younger. And he does digital marketing for a lot of companies in Dubai and stuff. And his team is in the Philippines. So he was in the Philippines when this whole outbreak happened. And he's currently here. So he was talking to some of his family and one of his relatives, like I want to say it was like um, his aunt, maybe like his mom's sister or something like that. She got tested positive for the coronavirus in Paris. And then, you know, somebody else that he's very close to also, that also happened. So it's beginning to hit home. Like he was telling me today, he was like, dude, like 
he's trying to push the business aspect of it at the same time but he's like this shit is hitting home for me we were kind of talking about this before i think this leads into the the interesting thing about people people that might be watching this right now might question the ethics of a business profiting from a global pandemic and my thought process is this we are sourcing product at cost and then selling it for a market rate or below market rate actually mostly below market rate two we're trying to make sure that if you want an N95 neo certified mask we were actually turning away people and being like, I, I'm not confident that we can source that. Like I, I'd seen too much fakery with uh, certifications. You know, I said multiple times, like, I don't want to touch the N95. There's too much nonsense going on with that. And then now that we actually found a credible source where we can actually go to the NIOSH CDC website and find the factory's name right there as a verified supplier, we're like, okay, oh, so this is a possibility. Okay, so now I feel comfortable offering that as a product. But the reality is I just want to make sure, and we've always had this business ethic, is if you want something, you want this specific thing with these certifications, I want to deliver that to you because I believe in providing the best possible product. It might not be the cheapest, but it's going to be what you want to the best of our ability as a business. And I'll, be, and I'll come completely clean as far as myself. When I first started SourceFind Asia, I had no base basis for how these things went. At that time, you know, you couldn't go on and find a hundred different video blogs about how to work with China. There was no, you know, Alibaba. I don't even know if it was up at that time. It definitely wasn't what it is now. And AliExpress and you know, you couldn't get all of these online ebooks and instructions on how to do it. So I was basically winging it and I wasn't transparent because I didn't know that that was the way that it had to work. I thought, you know, I had to protect my sources and I had some fantastic clients and some great situations that blew up because of functioning like that. And when you and I came together and decided to work together, you know, that was one of the first things our ethos was that we, that's, that's just not possible. It can't work. It can't work if you're doing things like that. So we're transparent throughout the entire process because that's the only way that these things are going to materialize. You're inevitably going to have problems if you're trying to hold things back from, from the clients because you think that, okay, they're going to go directly to the source or they really know how things go. You know, it doesn't work, man. It doesn't work. And we've, we've been doing that day in, day out for the last you know five plus years. And, it's the, and I'm just saying it's the only way to get things done. The other as ethical aspect of this is like, for me, people that follow our, our content know that I was born in Zambia and, you know, my parents retired in Zambia. So it's like one of my first, and Mike also brought this up as well. And I was like, I was, I was on the same page, maybe not as a business aspect of being like for Source Financia, this is what we're going to do. But now I think that has to be something that we include into our sort of business plan or whatever. But I was planning on sending free medical supplies to, to Zambia. That was going to be one of the first things I was going to do if we had secured one of these larger orders in the short time period that everybody was talking about. I still plan on doing that, maybe on a smaller scale. But now I'm thinking like, and I don't know what the numbers would be. I don't know. We haven't fleshed this out with our other partners and things like that. But now I'm thinking we need to maybe make a commitment of putting a percentage of proceeds or actual product and donating that to, to organizations or, 
or countries that might not be prepared. Maybe the country has the money, but the organization doesn't have the backing from the government because they're not ready yet, whatever the, the circumstance might be. I think we're all like, in terms of my network of friends and people that we know, we know people from around the globe. I think we can all identify certain areas that we think are going to really, really suffer when, when they get affected by the, by the coronavirus. Absolutely. And, you know, because we're so involved with the day-to-day of what's going on right now, like I've had a couple opportunities to try to kind of step back and assess what's going on. And, you know, we have these issues with people feeling comfortable making the leap, you know, engaging in not only a, a purchasing process that they're just completely unfamiliar with, but doing so on such a large scale. You know, it's not like they're testing this out with a thousand piece order. You know, they need massive quantities and they needed them on the ground yesterday. So, so I understand that it's a big leap for a lot of people. But on the other side, as we've mentioned a couple of times in this conversation, our suppliers are cutting us off daily. Not that we're running out, but we're having less. Not, not necessarily cutting us off, but they're saying that, hey, we're not going to be able to process an order for you guys until the Correct. end of April. Or the, or May, you know, so they're pushing yeah. us back because we haven't confirmed an order with them yet. That's exactly what I meant. They're just, yeah. they're at capacity. They're not yeah. able to proceed things forward. And then a lot of the calls I'm getting on, I'm talking to people who are on the front lines or that are overseeing people who are on the front lines. And I'm just giving an honest account of what they're telling me, at least in America, we're two weeks out, three weeks out from, from this thing really being awful. Didn't they say that um, spring, when was spring break? Like two weeks ago? Or- two weeks ago. And they've, you know, there, there was this website, I'm sure some people have seen it, where they, they cell phone tracked all these people who were on, maybe it was Lauderdale, Las Olas area, where it was proven where a lot of people had gotten infected and it, and it tracked their movement and they just spread all over and especially in Northeast part of America. So a lot of people are expecting it to flare up in Northeast USA. And then a couple of the distributors and uh, hospital reps and one guy in particular who oversees a bunch of EMT services with hospitals throughout the Midwest. He goes, he goes, listen, man, I, I think you're doing the right thing and you should try to get as much on the ground as possible in the next two weeks because uh, the Midwest is about to explode. He said, we haven't been preparing in the right manner. A lot of these rural hospitals are just not even close to being set up the amount of people that are coming through their doors. And this is going to be a really, really awful situation. There's one aspect, like we, we want to work through all these details and, and, and onboard and have a chance to do business. But the other aspect is like, man, I would hate to miss the boat and not be able to like get this stuff in people's hands. The reality is that what's going to happen is that if it hits that hard in the next two weeks, they're going to have to loosen their standards, right? They're going to end up having to source masks that are lower Not quality. Exactly. Or, or they will have to do, which now I'm, now we're more fluent in the language, they'll have to get like FFP1 masks mm-hmm. rather than FFP2 yeah. masks, right? Like it's going to be one of those things where they have to start making sacrifices and hard decisions because yeah. it's either you don't have anything and you're treating somebody that's corona, which is already happening in some parts of the States, which I can talk about after you make your point. Either you don't have any protection when you're treating somebody or you use a lower quality mask. Yeah. So we had talked to one person who, who needed an astronomical 
quantity of these goods. And he said, well, what are your payment terms? And I, I told him, I said, well, we just reflect what our suppliers are giving to us. So it's 50% deposit upfront and you have to pay the 50% balance before it's released to the logistics companies. And he said, well, that's impossible. We don't do business like that. But he was realistic. He said, well, listen, yesterday we would have never have accepted a KN95 mask. Yeah. And today, and today my supervisors told me to buy every single one I could period every yep. single one of the time. So he goes, Hey, you know what? I might call you back on Monday and have a completely different tone. And that, so, that conversation was what on Friday? That was on Friday. Yeah. And yesterday, Saturday, the CDC uh, said they're going to make an announcement saying all Americans should wear masks at all That's times. When they're outside. You can go online and see that from and a lot of multiple news sources, the wall street journal, ABC news, like, you know, multiple. It's like, I don't want to get into, politics and stuff but you know that was i said that because i you know we've been a part of this since since day one like the outbreak and we've been privy to what's happening because we yeah, know i mean i was directly happened. affected by it like i mean it happened a week after i left china like if i had been in china for one yeah. extra week i would have been still in china right now like i would have <laughs> I, had a, I had a flight book 36 hours before they canceled all events of assembly in china yeah. like yeah. i had guys in china that I had flown out there for, for work. So, I mean, yeah, we were directly hit by it. So we've been very privy to what's going on from day one, you know, not to get political or anything, but to see our, our being Americans, government officials in the early stages of this coming onto the news and giving press statements and saying that the general public having PPE equipment isn't important. It's not what we need. We don't need masks. It's not going to help assist us. It's just like, it goes against what everybody else across the entire planet was doing, mm. you know, medical professionals in China, South Korea, Singapore, everywhere. were all saying that everyone should be protected and everyone should have these masks. So it's, it's also, also, okay. So let's say, um, let's say that the masks don't protect you as much as we think, right? What is the negative of wearing the mask? You just don't look good. It's like you don't look very fashionable. Yeah, I really you know I mean? believe. I it's really like, believe it's just a stigma. Yeah, yeah. I really, I really do. But, you but know? there's no downside of wearing the mask, right? Like there's only a potential upside or nothing. Like the, you know what I mean? It's like when you look at it from that perspective, it's like why wouldn't you spend, you know, whatever I've to heard buy them, medical you know? professionals and infectious disease experts come on and talk about it and say, yeah, at the end of the day. It's not guaranteed 100%, uh, you know, to, to, to protect you from, from getting it. But, you know, yeah. in a lot of cases, it, it, it should provide yeah. some protection. It's some, 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 some protection. It's some sort of filter. So. Yeah. I mean, uh, going, uh, using hand sanitizer, you know, 25 times a day and staying at home and self-quarantine is not going to guarantee that you're not going to be affected by the virus, but it's going to reduce the chances, right? Like, you right. know what I mean? It's like, why not take every possible resource opportunity to 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 do that um, and, and, and i think know, that's where that's where now you know the, the cdc and and I, I still don't have a mask i actually don't have a mask like uh just to be real with with the audience but i want to get one i just know i can't right now in the philippines so part of this process with us sourcing i was gonna i want to buy samples next samples next week yeah. like actually tomorrow Actually, today, yeah. if we're talking about it, it's already 12.20. Part of those samples, I'm going to send some over here. Some of them I'm going to send to the hospitals here in the Philippines. 
um, and then some we are going to ship to Europe and the States to reassure the buyers as well. Hey, here's a sample of the mask from some of our suppliers and you know, you can check it out and see if it's good. And then I also want to have a couple here just because I literally haven't left our condo in 10 days. Like I've left, I've gone outside, but I went outside like to the ATM, which is like, like it's part of the building. It's not even, you know, doesn't really count as going anywhere. Today I went to ATM and I sprayed the, the keypad with alcohol, the sanitizer, whatever. And it's like I've begun to feel a little bit more paranoid about the idea of going further outside of my building without a mask. You know, mm-hmm. so it's it's really hitting me. You know, and just with the research that we've been doing and the, and having been in cor- uh, self quarantine thirty days at the Philippines, like yeah, I'm like man, like oh, yeah, you gotta gotta get those masks, man, and you want to get the best quality mask possible. You know, I'm really interested for us to continue doing this, getting on the phone and talking through what's happening because it also helps for me to to try to like summarize and articulate my thoughts as to, as to what's going on you know i'm also thinking too about from like an economic perspective and the social implications what this does to our society moving forward i don't think we should get into it in depth now but you talking about your you know i, I guess you could say paranoia to venture too far out mm. is a real thing and you know i've been talking to friends of mine who and i'm, who, I'm like one of the least paranoid yeah. like i'm like Absolutely. you know what I mean? like it Absolutely. is definitely i could imagine that it's affecting other people i was talking to my buddy who lives in you know a rural part he lives outside tulsa oklahoma and he's saying you know we, me and my mom went out to um you know take a walk and go in the park and he's like people are avoiding each other not just avoiding like contact but like mm-hmm. pretending pretending that they, they don't, don't exist something where nobody even acknowledges your existence you I see was, these people New York City freaking out. Everybody just walks right past them, you know? I was laughing the other day. I was like, man, like, this has been the first time in in, in my life, and I guess in most people's lives, that we're, like, looking at everybody, like, literally everybody sideways. Like, you got that. Back off, bro. (laughs) (laughs) Like, we're just, like, afraid of people. Like, oh, everyone is a a risk. I walked in today in the elevator when I was going to the ATM. I walked in, there was a baby and there was a mom. And I looked at them and I was like, maybe I should take the next elevator. <laughs> and then I, I take was like, the stairs in my building. And then I was like, ah, you know, Rico, man, you've been ridiculous. You, you think, you, you know? And I'm just like, yeah, it's my building. We're in isolation. Like, it's very unlikely that somebody... Like, I got a back pretty, set of stairs. I got pretty, a back they're pretty, stairs they're pretty, for the parking garage they're pretty strict in bgc and uh this condo as well specifically in terms of who they let in and out like you know what i mean it's not i was like if anybody's in the elevator with a baby like she she lives here she's fine like don't worry but then something to think about is like how long do you live your life like that like we're in day 13 but this last week was good for me in the sense of my mind just being a hundred percent focused on work and a distraction away from just sitting in you know, this condo all day. I mean, the bad thing is just being inside all day. But the week before last week was, it was bad, man. Like seven days of just sitting around, like working still, but just inside all day, not being able to go do Muay Thai, not like trying to exercise at home, but it's just not the same. I was going a little bit stir crazy. Nick and I were like, man, I don't know how long this is going to work. So I can imagine this is supposed to be 30 days. Yeah, no, I, I think after 30 days, people are going to... In China, I already saw those riots. 30 days, man, 
after 30 days, I don't know how long the government would be, not even just from a personal uh, psychological standpoint, but even just from an economic standpoint, it's like people are not working. During this last week, we ramped up one of our part-time employees to be full-time, but we also hired a person to help us with data entry because we've been collecting so many quotations and so much information from WeChat, WhatsApp, email, Slack, like as Google Drive, like five different locations. And we have to put that info. These are quotations and certificates. And we have to put it into one spot so we can reference it when we're talking to people and we can send out that information to people easily. We're also working with like Denmark, Finland, the US, Canada, Thailand, China, Philippines. Potentially Ireland. Potentially Ireland, Australia, Brazil. And also uh, Gabon, Papua New Guinea. Yes, and Dubai as well. So like we're talking about so many different countries. Everybody has access to our Google Docs. And we have to make sure that everybody's updated at the right times. Luke's in Vietnam. Vietnam is another one. Yeah, so everybody has access to those Google Docs. And the reason why we work through that is because we want everybody to get information in real time. So we had to hire a data entry person because typically what would happen is our team would receive quotes and then we put them into our templates and, you know, it's fine. A project manager or a junior project manager can do that by themselves. But when you're collecting so much information from so many different places and then it has to be updated that day because we have multiple people around the world wanting to resource that information, I was like, okay, we have to hire a data entry person. And that person that we hired actually owns his own restaurant here in the Philippines, but the restaurant is closed. You know, I was looking for some help on the U.S. Because everyone that we've hired is on Asia time zone. It gets really overwhelming for me for the times that Rico isn't staying up 24 hours a day, you know, when I'm getting slammed with calls. But then I also need to try to get myself in the documents to organize and, and try to prepare information. So I've been looking at people here and, uh, you know, I put out some feelers as to, as to who might be able to assist. And you know, a lot of people with a lot of different job titles were like, yeah, I, I can, I can help. I want to, I want to need, need that X amount per hour, man. Like it's, you know, it's rugged. It's rugged out here. Yeah. This is, this is a special, special time. Like Absolutely. on one hand, I, I try to like, I try to look at the positives and not, not from the, you know, the virus itself, but I'm just talking about our specific situation, our company. And I was thinking about it from a business development standpoint is if we're able to survive this financially and we don't have to shut down Search Financial because we haven't made revenue for six months, we've made amazing contacts around the world. This has been a real stress test on our systems. And I think we've done a pretty good job. You know what I mean? Like, despite us having to work 20 hours a day and stuff like that, but from from an organizational standpoint, like the idea that we've been able to communicate effectively to multiple people around the world what we're doing how we do it the pricing being able to collect all that information in such a short space of time we also stress test our relationships in china being able to tap into all of our our network not the time to pat ourselves on the back yeah i'm just saying i'm just this is the positive that's the positive side of things man i'm not i'm not patting myself on the back i'm I'm just just saying i'm just looking at all the hours that have been why are you why are, you try, why are you trying to? But isn't that a isn't that a positive thing? Isn't that it's a positive thing? In, absolutely, in the sense of I, saying that we were able oh, to do that. Can we not I, celebrate a small win? I just know that as difficult as it's been in the last week and a half, we're looking at 
exponentially more difficult situation in the next two weeks. So well, in, in, diff- in a different in a different way, though, in a different way, because I feel like right now we are in a position where we understand the products more. Right, we have a better understanding of what the products are. This, this, how to even verify the, the the products? That's another aspect. We understand the climate in China. We understand how it's escalating. Our team understands that. We've educated the other people that are involved peripherally from a business development standpoint, or or the brokers. They understand better, and we're yeah. also educating potential the, the audience, like with this kind of content. My point is that, like. I feel like this situation has stress tested a lot of things, whether it's our internal business processes, how we research and things like that. We've pushed our employees to the limits. We pushed ourselves to the limits. We've also tapped into our networks in China. We've called in a lot of favors and people came through. Yeah. I don't think so there's I, one person I hit up out of. Is, my, right, yeah. yeah, exactly. So I'm like in that sense, I'm proud of what yeah. we've built it's a validation in that sense i agree with that and i just like to to second the you know i challenge anybody anybody in terms of of you know their network and access to the supply of these products i was saying at first when i started to take these calls it was new i'm talking to you know really big potential buyers on on products that i was starting to get familiar with, but I didn't have a fantastic depth of knowledge. And, and I mean, now, man, after after 150 calls, like, I don't care who I'm talking to, man. I truly believe in and out with the people that, that we know and we're working with and just the ability to access a worldwide network of entrepreneurs who all have their hand on this situation. We know sourcing guys who went through the quarantine and are in China. We know people who are in China working with QC companies that are going to these factories every day. We have ten, you know five to 10 year relationships with logistic companies that are going to pick up goods from these factories every day. We have friends who we were working with for years who fully converted their factories into mask operations. We have friends who worked for us or that we worked alongside on different projects along the way who they're in the sourcing business and their company, their factory wasn't able to move forward because of this crisis. You know, in the same way that people are staying home and businesses are closing down, that also affects these factories who are producing the product. So they've had to transition to making these goods, you know, as early as, uh, as January, you know, people started converting and getting certifications in February, March. Correct. And that's something I'm thinking about. And I want to get off this call so we can talk about it a little bit. Like, I think if we could give somebody a little bit of a bird's eye view as to the amount of people that we know on the ground in China and elsewhere that have are privy to firsthand information of what's going on, I, I don't see how anybody could doubt what we're telling them. Now, you could doubt the situation just because the volatility of what's going on in the world right now. And, you know, nobody knows if the CCP could come in and say, hey, tomorrow, nobody's getting any more of these masks. Like Donald Trump can come on the news and say some out-of-pocket stuff or, you know, U.S. Customs can decide to make a sweeping regulation. Like those things are all in play. But in terms of like what we're telling people and what we have access to, I mean, if anybody's out there doing that, I, I just I would be so interested to know if anybody else is is as that, involved. In the notes, um, we are. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. I no. I hundred percent agree. Like I, I agree. Like I think that there is a a lack of understanding of how much 
how many resources we have on the ground in China. And, you know, I guess that's what we're trying to communicate to people that are not familiar with being in Asia. Because, like, for all the people that I know here in the Philippines and other people in Southeast Asia, they understand that it's not even a question because they've dealt even peripherally with China and they know that, hey, you know, like you having spent for me five years, for you over what, 12 years, the resources that you guys have that, that you've tapped into is legitimate. Yeah, man. So, anyways, I hope that uh, anybody watching this is uh, paying attention to the climate in China. One, a couple things that I think we didn't mention. Um, that I think we mentioned before, but we didn't mention is that the products are going up every day. We talked about how the factories are getting booked up. There are very few certified factories. There's a lot of factories that are going through the certification process right now, but you know it can take a while. And the reality is people don't have time to wait. And also it's not just the US, it's, it's going to be South America. It's already Europe. Africa, you know, like we got to move a little bit quicker when it comes to this. For us, we're, we're you know, a small sourcing company, a startup situation. We don't have the resources to buy 200,000 masks and just send them over and the hope that they'll sell and we'll make our money back. Like we, we got to work with other people to, to do that. And, and, you know, hopefully something happens this week. We could be having a completely different conversation in three days, though. So we'll see how it goes. All right, guys, uh, we're going to continue giving you the coronavirus updates, uh, COVID-19 situation. Uh, we're trying to price out more products, trying to get these products out to the world. Hopefully, everybody's safe out there. If you want to reach out to us, that's sourcefinasia.com slash contact us. For the podcast, that's sourcefinasia.com slash made in China. And uh, we will see you guys, I usually say next week, but I'm trying to release videos like every couple of days. So maybe in a couple of days, maybe next week. We'll see. Um, cheers. Uh. You shopping on Canal yeah. I guess it makes sense It seems phony as your style Your hair and your nails Just as phony as your smile Fake eyelashes You drew your eyebrows And make a brother ass Do you pride yourself? You make up like a mask Try to hide yourself It seems on the outside You thinking you the shit But it's a soul that's inside That you ain't even knew exists So you so out of touch That the world mistreats you Rich niggas fuck you And broke niggas beat you Hope that this will reach you When you understand That your value ain't determined by another man Cause right now you let them brothers get the upper hand And you just tell them go deep like Cunningham